Life works the way God intends when we put Him first in every area of our lives. To help us live that life, God gave us the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are principles to live by, principles that bring our relationship to God and each other closer together. They're a way to understand how God wants us to live. These commandments help us love God and love others. The fourth commandment says to set aside a day of rest. In our weekly hurry, we rarely make time to slow down so God can speak to us, refresh our spirit, and deepen our relationship with Him. And so God says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's good to be with you guys again this weekend. Neil, it's good to have you here again. And as you can see, Neil has once again upped his game. Uh, safety is a premium here at Hope Community Church. In fact, this weekend we're coming to you from the Apex Campus because Neil can actually be 90 feet away instead of just 60 feet away. I think next week he's probably going to be in Chatham County. But you know what? This has been like the third big week uh, of social distancing. We're getting ready to, to be locked up into our homes and we're getting ready to feel like what it's to be isolated with just our families and about now you're beginning to realize how you actually feel about the people that are living with you in your home. In fact, I was reminded of that when I saw this little video this week. Let me show it to you. Because of coronavirus, you are going to be quarantined, but you have a choice. Do you A, quarantine with your wife and child or B? B. <laughs> B. B. <laughs> I love that video. That kind of sums it up. See, there's a lot of husbands feeling that way about their wives. But let me tell you, there's a lot of wives feeling that way about their husbands. And there's a lot of parents feeling that way about their kids. And there are a lot of kids feeling that way about their parents. So we're trying to navigate this new norm together. Uh, I'm wearing this t-shirt this weekend that says, I'm the boss, that's why. It's actually not my t-shirt. It's Laura's t-shirt. She let me bark just for illustration. But this is what she wears around the house, and it keeps everything in perspective, how everything is supposed to work. In fact, she said, keep it short today because I have some laundry to do. But we're going to get through this together. But here at Hope, we want to help you any way we can. That's why we exist. And so if you need help, feel free just to go to our website, help at gethope.net. Whatever it is, if you need someone to talk to, if there's something you need in your home, you can't go get. Maybe you need some toilet paper. But if you will contact us there, we will do everything we can to address and to meet your needs. And let me just say this, to really stay on top of everything that's going on here at Hope Community Church, sign up for the latest uh, update of the e-news. You can get it at gethope.net backslash e-news. And I think you'll find all the information you need as it relates to Hope Community Church. Now, because we're going through all of this and what we're going through is it's impacting our relationships, I, I think it's a good thing that we're involved in this series that we're calling 10. Although it's a, it's a series that has to do with the Ten Commandments, we're finding that behind each one of these commandments is a relationship principle that can take us deeper in our relationship with God, but deeper in our relationship with each other. And I think that's very, very important. You're really going to see that this weekend as we look at the fourth commandment. Let me just give it to you. It's in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And this word holy means separate or set apart. And so God says, I, 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 want, you to, I want you to treat the Sabbath day as something special. 
Now, we know that the Sabbath, this is something that was given to the Jews in the Old Testament. We know that they still today celebrate the Sabbath, which is a Saturday. Uh, but see, this is interesting. For the Jew in Israel, uh, the Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday, and it goes to sundown on Saturday. And you may wonder, why do, why, do they, why do they celebrate it during that time period? Well, it's based on a verse in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. It's part of the creation story. And it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So there was evening, and then there was morning. And so for the Jew, the day begins the night before, and then it goes to sunset that day. Now, for the Jew, that's a Saturday. And everything shuts down in Israel. In fact, if you were to go with me on one of our trips, you would see everything is closed. In fact, uh, it, when you're in a hotel uh, and you need to use the elevator, you don't even push the buttons because that would be considered work. You just get in the elevator and the elevator automatically is programmed to stop at each floor. So it's a very, very strict day. Now, you may be wondering, well, wait a second, Mike. If we're supposed to remember the Sabbath, why do we worship and celebrate on Sunday? And it's because, remember, when Jesus died and was buried, three days later, he rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And so in the first century, Christians began to set that, side, that day aside as being a special day. Which brings up the question, does this fourth commandment about honoring the Sabbath, does it really apply to us today? Well, I think this is what you're going to see over the next few minutes. I believe that God gave us the Sabbath or this principle of rest. That's what we're going to be talking about to actually keep our world from unraveling. But see, here's the challenge I face. Most of us, and a lot of you that are listening right now, we don't see ourselves the way others see us. For example, I see myself as productive. I see myself as active. I see myself as responsible. I've gotta get good things done. I'm, I wanna be a good steward of my time. But I actually just had my annual physical this past Tuesday, and I realized that my doctor sees me in a different perspective. She sees me as some, somebody maybe who's flirting with getting a massive coronary. See, we don't see ourselves the way others see ourselves. Maybe I see myself as driven. I see myself as focused. I see myself as passion, passionate. But if you were to ask Laura, she would say that I'm a little bit OCD, maybe even neurotic. I don't see myself that way, but she sees me that way. So here's the problem if you're like me. You've probably already convinced yourself that you don't have time to rest. You don't need to rest. Rest is something you do if you're lazy. Rest is something you do if you're kind of a sluggard or you're not very driven or you don't have a lot, a lot of ambition. But the reality is, of this, is this. As Christians, we still have to come to terms with the fact that God wants us to rest. So what we're going to do this weekend, we're going to talk about this fourth commandment and we're going to be talking about this principle of rest, and I'm, I'm hoping that you will see how important this is for your life. So let's just read the commandment. It's actually the longest commandment. It begins in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And then, and then it begins to explain what that means. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. In other words, six days you send all your email, you take care of all your texts. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. Now, then he tells us why. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He set it apart. He considered it 
special. Now, this is what's interesting to me about this commandment. If you're watching right now, if you're a Christian, you would probably agree that we should obey all of the Ten Commandments. In fact, 76% of Americans believe that we should have the commandments posted publicly in places throughout the country. I think that's interesting because only 47% of Americans actually know what the Ten Commandments are, but 76% believe that they should, be, they should be posted, they should be displayed in public places. We believe we should obey the Ten Commandments. We believe that God should be number one. There should be no other God. We believe that we shouldn't have any idols or any carved images up on our mantles. We believe that we shouldn't take God's name in vain. We believe that we should honor our parents, honor our mother and our father. We believe without a doubt that we shouldn't lie, we shouldn't steal, we shouldn't murder, we shouldn't commit adultery, we shouldn't covet. For some reason, we think it's okay not to keep this commandment. So my goal is very simple this weekend, is to help us begin to understand this principle of rest, this fourth commandment, and to understand why it's so important, the important role that it plays in our life. Now, I want to just begin by talking about the fact that there are reasons that God said that we should rest. In fact, there's a couple of reasons. Here's the first one. Resting allows God to miraculously meet our needs. It allows God to show up in our lives and do the supernatural. Let me show you an interesting story. It's found in Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. Moses is speaking, and this is the time after the people had left 430 years of being slaves in Egypt. Now they're on their way to the promised land. By the way, it was only a 13-day journey by foot. So they're making their way, but they're learning a, a lot of new things about God and what God expects out of this relationship. So Moses said to them in verse 23, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink or get maggots in it. That's one of my favorite verses. But what's going on in this story? Well, understand this. Remember when, when, when the people left, when they left Egypt and they started making their way to the promised land, they didn't have anything to eat. So God miraculously fed the children of Israel in the wilderness by giving them manna. And so they would go to bed at night and the next morning there would be manna for them to gather. And that happened every day. But God said, I only want you to gather what you need for that one day. But this is what's interesting. The people were afraid that it wouldn't be there again the next day. Maybe God would fall asleep and not wake up. Maybe he didn't want to do it the next day. It's kind of like you guys as it relates to toilet paper. You know, you hoarded the toilet paper because you were afraid it wouldn't be there the next day. Now, here's the good news. You've got six years worth of toilet paper. The bad news is you can't get your car in the garage, right? Well, the people of Israel, they were no different. So they took extra. But I understand, when they took more than they needed, it went bad. And it wasn't because they had inadequate refrigeration in the desert. It's because, see, they weren't trusting that God was going to do what he said he would do. And what he said he would do was that every morning he would deliver to them fresh manna. But this is what's interesting. On the sixth day, they were allowed to cover enough, uh, to, to, to gather enough for two days so that it would cover the Sabbath. And on that day, the extra that they gathered, it wouldn't go bad. And it's because, see, God did something miraculous on just that day, just the sixth day. In fact, let me show you Exodus 16, verse 29. 
bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So right here you have social distancing and isolation right here in the book of Exodus, right? So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, let me just tell you this. The Ten Commandments are actually listed twice in the Old Testament. The first time is in Exodus chapter 20. And you remember that the Hebrew people, they were on their way from Egypt to the promised land that God said he was going to give them. But if you know the story, they got right up to the Jordan River, right up to the promised land, but then they were afraid to go into the promised land. They decided not to go in. And so God says, listen, I'm gonna let you wander around in the desert, wander around in the wilderness for 40 years so you can think about it, right? So they've wandered around in the desert for 40 years. A whole generation has died off. Moses has now, 40 years later, led them back to the very same spot they were before, right at the Jordan River, getting ready to cross over into the promised land. But before they cross over, Moses wants to remind them of the Ten Commandments, the expectation that God had of them. In fact, this word Deuteronomy, it means second law. So in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he once again gives them the Ten Commandments. But when he gets to this commandment, he shares something with them that he didn't share in Exodus chapter 20. This is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8. Moses is speaking. He says, it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand. He redeemed you from the land of slavery. In other words, you were slaves, but God redeemed you from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, why is this important? It's important because these guys who had been slaves knew slaves didn't get a day off. See, wealthy people got a day off. People who were elite got a day off. People of royalty got a day off. But slaves didn't get a day off. And so God is basically saying to Israel, you didn't get a day off when you were in bondage. You didn't get a day off when you were a slave. I want to give you this gift of a day off. Now, what does this have to do with us today? Well, think about it this way. During the week, we are basically slaves. We're slaves to our schedule. We're slaves to commitments. We're slaves to our appointments. We, we have deadlines. We're slaves. And around here, we use the terminology, we got to push rocks. We got to move rocks. We're slaves. So God comes along and says, listen, I understand that you have to work. But I also want you to understand that one day a week, you don't have to be a slave to your work. One day a week, you are free. And you don't have to work because God says, I am going to provide for you. Now, this is interesting. You can see this principle all through the Bible. What was it that Jesus said? Seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added unto you. You see it with the principle of tithing. It's very simple. God has given us everything that we have. And so God asks us not to give, but to return the first 10% to him. And then God promises us, I can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. But it's this idea that we have to trust God. In fact, you know what? You can even see this in the marketplace. For example, did you know that Chick-fil-A makes twice as much profit Every year at each of its restaurants, each of its franchise makes more profit than McDonald's, Starbucks, and Subway combined. Twice as much annually at each of its restaurants. Now think about this. And it's closed on Sunday, which happens to be the busiest day of the week 
for the fast food industry. But they close every Sunday and they're very clear why they close is to give their employees a time to rest, is to give their employees a time with their families, and is to give them an opportunity to rest, to worship. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you explain that? It's the same principle, that God can do more in six days than you can do in seven. And if you don't realize how much God can do in six days, just walk outside and look around. Get in your car and drive down to the ocean. You can see what God can do in six days. Or head west and visit the mountains. You'll see what God can do in six days. Or watch the sunrise or sunset. You will be reminded of what God can do in six ways. And so understand, when we observe the Sabbath, when we observe this principle of rest, we are allowing God to show up in our lives and do something miraculous. But there's a second reason, and it's because resting allows us to catch our breath. Think about this. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 31, verse 16. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath. In other words, they're not to work, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. I'll come back to that in just a second. But I want you to understand that the Sabbath was a great sign, not just, not just to the nation of Israel, to all the people of the world, it was a great sign of just how great and how powerful Israel's God was. For example, let's, let's say that you were a Canaanite and you were doing business with an Israelite. And so maybe as a Canaanite, you know, you would email the Israelite and say something like, listen, I'm going to be in town on Saturday, which is the Sabbath. You know, maybe we could get together for breakfast. Maybe we could get together for lunch and we can wrap up. We could close this deal and you would hit sin. And then the person on Israel's side, they would get that email and they would, they would email back, we don't work on Saturday, sin. And then the Canaanite would email back, what do you mean? Why don't you work on Saturday? And the person on Israel's end would go, well, it's the day God rested after creating the world in six days, sin. And the Canaanite would email back, God who? Sin, right? And at this moment, it was a great opportunity for the Israelite, the Jew, to share his faith. Could basically send back, well, you know, everything that you enjoy in your life, you enjoy because my God created it, sin. And the Canaanites like, uh, you mean we weren't created by a big bang? Sin. And the Israelite would respond back, no, God created us in six days and he rested on the seventh day. Sin. And it's interesting, if you study the Bible, all through the Bible, creation is a sign of what God, what God did and just how great the God of Israel was. By the way, I, I, I told you to hang on to something. Go back to Exodus 31 verse 17. The end of it, it says, he, that would be God, rested and was refreshed. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would a God who's all-powerful, why would a God who is omnipotent, why would God need to rest? But here's an even better question. How does God rest? Well, go back to that verse. In the Hebrew, this word refreshed means took breath. So what it's saying is, he breathed in. Now think about this. What was God doing for six days? Well, he was creating. And how did God create? Well, he spoke. And here's the thing. When you speak, 
you breathe out. Let me give you an example. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light. Whenever you speak, you breathe out. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He's got, and at that moment, man became a living soul. So understand, for six days, God had been breathing out. But on the sixth day, or seventh day, he breathed in. It was like, and he was refreshed. So I have a real simple question for you. If God refreshes himself, why don't we? So understand there are reasons that God tells us to rest. But second, I want you to understand there are consequences when we don't rest. There's an interesting story in Numbers chapter 15. It says in verse 32, while the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was found gathering wood. Literally, the word is sticks in the Hebrew. He was found gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood or sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly. Notice this, they kept him in custody. Of course, I mean, you can't have a guy running around town gathering sticks on the Sabbath, right? So they keep him in custody, verse 35. Uh, then he goes on to say, because it was not clear what should be done to him, verse 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read something like that, I'm thinking, that seems like a pretty severe, over-the-top consequence for just gathering sticks. By the way, there were four things in the Old Testament that would incur the death penalty. It was adultery. You may remember John chapter 8, the woman that was caught in adultery and the religious leaders, they wanted to stone her. Murder, working on the Sabbath, and you'll love the fourth one, rebellious children. And right now, while some of you are stuck in your house with your children, this is what you're thinking. Can we bring that one back? In fact, I came across this post on Facebook. I thought it was so cool. Let me just show it to you. Many parents are just about to discover the teacher was not the problem. See, that's what you parents are discovering right now as you're trying to homeschool your children. By the way, I'll tell you in just a few weeks when we look at the fifth commandment, we're going to break for Palm Sunday and we're going to break for Easter. But I'll tell you when we look at the fifth commandment about honoring our parents, why this was so important to God. But I will give you a little clue here. Tomorrow, when you're trying to teach your kid math or social studies or whatever it is you're trying to teach them and they're getting a little mouthy, you can just remind them, hey, if we lived in the Old Testament, you would be dead now, son. So you could do that. And by the way, if that doesn't work and you got three or four kids, you may need to actually just stone one of them to be an object lesson. You just, you just, you just think about that yourself, right? But here's my point. Why would not keeping the Sabbath why would that fall into the same category as murder, adultery, rebellion? Well, you got to remember, there's a principle behind each one of these commandments. So let me ask you something. Is it possible? Is it possible that you're killing yourself by not resting one day a week? Is it possible that you are literally destroying your health 
by not resting one day a week? Is it possible that you're actually cutting your life short by not obeying this principle and resting one day a week? There's an interesting story over in 2 Chronicles, and we won't take the time to look at it. But it's a story about uh, a point of history that we even studied in school. 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar came in with the Babylonians and destroyed Jerusalem. And those that they didn't kill, they took as captives back to Babylon. And there they remained in captivity for 70 years. Now understand, when God gave the principle of the Sabbath, basically he said this, every seventh day you rest. But God also gave to the Jews this principle of a sabbatical year, that every seventh year was to be a year of rest. And there were a lot of other cool things that were associated with it. But one of the things they were to do is they were to give rest to the land. In other words, they weren't allowed to plant any crops during a sabbatical year. And again, it went back to the promise. God said, trust me, I will provide adequately. I will provide for you in such a way for six years. You can give the seventh year. You can give the land a year to rest. But if you read the Old Testament, you will discover that the Hebrew people didn't obey this commandment. And actually, they went 490 years without allowing the land to rest. Now, let me ask you a question. If you did something for 490 years, after a while, wouldn't you begin to think, I'm getting away with this, right? But see, you don't get away with it. It catches up with you. And so this is what God did. He sent in King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, they took the Hebrew people into captivity for how long? 70 years. Well, think about this. For 490 years, they, didn't, they did not honor the sabbatical year, which was supposed to be every seven years. Do the math. 70 into 490. How many sabbatical years did the land miss? 70 years. How long were they in captivity in Babylon and then Persia? 70 years. Coincidence? I think not. God says, man, if you're not going to allow the land to rest, I will take you out of the land. And for 70 years, the land got the opportunity to experience its sabbatical rest. Now, let me ask you a question. If God is that concerned about the land getting its rest, by the way, that makes God the first environmentalist, okay? If God is that concerned about the land getting its rest, how concerned is God that we take time to rest? My point is simply this. There are consequences to not observing this Sabbath principle of rest. I mean, you may be watching me right now. You may be dying, think, quick, uh, you may be dying quicker than you think because you just refuse to accept God's gift of a day off. Your marriage may be dying because you refuse to accept God's gift of a day off. Your family may be dying because you refuse to accept God's gift of a day off. Now this leads me to my third point. There are blessings when we do rest. In fact, it's the principle behind the commandment. You can see this. Let me show you something Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One day, Jesus, uh, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. That was against the law. 
on the Sabbath. It broke the Sabbath. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, said to him, look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He, Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God. We talked about this a few weeks ago in our David series. He ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, this is what Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, why did I read that to you? Well, I wanted you to see this isn't some kind of legalistic principle with God. This is what Jesus was saying. God didn't make you to serve the Sabbath. God made the Sabbath to serve you. It's a gift for you. It's going to help you. There's an old Jewish saying, more than Israel has kept Shabbat, and that's the way they say Sabbath. More than Israel has kept Shabbat, Shabbat has kept Israel. Now I'm going to be honest with you. When I was studying through this series, this is the one that really bothered me. Because I realized how this has just not been a practice, a priority, a principle in my life. And I'll tell you how I realized it. Several weeks ago, I was going through a little bit of a stressful time. And I got up one morning, it was about four o'clock, and I just went and I sat down on the couch. And normally I just flip on ESPN and, 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 and see what's happened overnight. But that morning I didn't. It, it was a restless night. And I sat on the couch in the dark, in the family room, and this was my thought. I am broken. I could put my finger on it. I just felt broken. I felt broken emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationally. And it was as if God spoke to me and said, you know, you're going to feel this way till you begin to honor this principle of rest and accept it as a gift that I've given you. And so I began to think what that would look like. And there was kind of a couple of things I realized that God was trying to teach me. I just want to pass them on to you. Maybe, maybe they'll help you. They come out of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Remember, he, he was talking. He said, do not worry about your life. Another translation says, don't be anxious for anything. But this is what God is trying to teach me. If I am going to experience rest, I have to deliberately stop being consumed by worry. Do you know what my worry is? My worry is if I don't work all the time, it's the worry of what might not get done. It's a worry about if I don't work all the time, not being ready every weekend with that deadline that comes every seven days to be ready to speak and to teach you. But you know what we spend a lot of time worrying about? If we're honest, non-essentials, you know? I mean, think back a few weeks ago before we, we went through this weird time and it's going to return to normal. These are typically the things we think about. What am I going to do this weekend? When am I going to cut the grass? When am I going to find time to get to the gym? What are we going to do for dinner? What am I going to wear tomorrow? Those kinds of non-essentials. But the other thing we worry about and stress out about 
in life are things we have absolutely no control over. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 27. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And the answer is no. I mean, by worrying, you can actually take hours off of your life. But by worrying about something, you cannot add a single hour to your life. I mean, can you imagine how much time we are spending on social media and in conversations worrying and fretting and the anxiety that's being caused by this coronavirus? But we have no control over it. God is in control. It's going to run as long as God wants it to run. We have no control over the implications that means to us as it relates to our career. We have no control over the financial implications of the coronavirus. But yet we will worry about that. In fact, uh, literally the day after we decided in leadership here at Hope that we were going to shut down and we were going to go online with our services, I think we were the first church in the community to do it. We are kind of a leader of other churches, not just here but across the country. But churches began to contact me. And a pastor from Ohio in a pretty good-sized church, he contacted me, and it was basically, what, what are you guys going to do? How are you handling this? Are you going to cut the budget? Or how, how, are you going to lay off staff? And I said, no. I have no control over where this thing's going to go, but I'll tell you what we are going to do. We're going to trust God. We're going to trust that God is going to provide. And we're going to trust that God is going to move in the hearts of our people and they are going to provide, and I believe that they are because I know that most of you watching me right now that are part of Hope Community Church, you buy into the mission. You buy into the vision of Hope Community Church, that we're not just about getting together on the weekend. We're about reaching a triangle. We're about literally changing the world. So why in the world would I worry about something that I have absolutely no control over? Worrying about something that deep down inside I know only God can handle so that's the first thing I, I i've got to if i'm going to experience rest i've got to deliberately stop you know thinking about worrying and being consumed by worry but here's the second one i have to deliberately start taking time for rest now for the jews as i said the sabbath begins at sundown on friday it ends at sundown on saturday but again remember we're talking about a principle and so as we talk about this principle of rest, of carving out a day for rest, it, it may be one day for you, it may be a different day for me. For example, those of you who have been around Hope for a while, you, you know that I have to work on Saturdays. We have services when we're functioning as we normally function every Saturday afternoon at the Raleigh campus, 4.15, 6 o'clock. It's always live, by the way. But that's a deadline that has to be met every weekend. So leading into that weekend, it's really, really hard for me to find time to carve out a 24-hour period because I also work on Sunday and I can't take off Monday because everybody's waiting by Thursday for to have my message to have my notes so that they can make the slides and do the things they need to do and, and normally Friday and Saturday morning is a lot of prep day to get ready to go in and speak at 4 15 on Saturday afternoon but I knew I had to do something so I stepped out on faith and this is the decision that I made I decided that from noon on Friday to noon on Saturday, I'm not going to work. A lot of people ask me, what do you do during that 24-hour period? That's the wrong question. The right question is, what is it that I don't do 
and I don't do anything that's related to my job at Hope Community Church. I don't write books. I don't work on messages. I don't check email or text. I don't return phone calls. If it has to do with Hope Community Church, I stop doing it. Now, you don't know, you don't know what a big deal that is for me because I can be pretty anal about being prepared at 4.15 on Saturday afternoon. But you know what I'm going to tell you what? Now that I've started implementing this principle of rest into my life, when I get up to speak on Saturdays, I feel more prepared. I feel more relaxed. I feel more energized. And I feel more refreshed when I'm finished. It's God's way of reminding me, Mike, trust me, trust me, obey me, follow my guidelines. I can do more in six days than you can do in seven. And I also might add that when it comes to the relationship I have with my wife and my family, they are much happier now. In fact, when I shared with Laura that I was broken and I needed to get this fixed, she said, oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. And so it's impacted our relationship. Now, as I said earlier, I learned this the hard way. It took me 39 years as a pastor to learn this principle. And finally, I got to the place like Socrates said. He said, it's, it's hard to be a philosopher when you have a toothache. I would put it this way. It's hard to be an effective spiritual leader when you're constantly exhausted. So right now, honestly, after 39 years of not observing this Sabbath principle, this, this principle of rest, I am playing catch up. And I'm trying to find some balance in my life. But this is my encouragement to you this weekend. God gives you a day off. A 24-hour period of time, and he gives it to you as a gift. And if you don't take advantage of it, it's not because you're so much more important than everybody else. It's not because you're so much busier than everyone else. If you don't take advantage of this 24-hour gift that God gives you every week, the bottom line is because you don't trust God. There is no other reason that you would actually work seven days a week. Now, some of you are probably hearing this for the first time, uh, and you may be feeling convicted, and maybe you should feel that way, but that's not my goal. My goal is that you just simply do something about this principle. And I would recommend that you start right now. I mean, let's face it, most of us, we're going to have plenty of time over the next few weeks to rest. I would encourage you to identify that 24-hour period in your life where you're going to have nothing to do with your job. And when this is over, what do they say? It takes three weeks for something to become a habit. You will have this habit in your life that's going to begin to deepen your relationship with God. But maybe even more importantly, it's going to begin to deepen and change and strengthen your relationship with the people that God has placed in your life. Remember the Sabbath. Remember that principle of rest. Set it aside. Guard it. See what God begins to do in your life. Let's bow. Before I pray and we wrap this up, let me just say this. Do you know what it boils down to? It always boils down to this. Do I trust more in me or do I trust more in God? In every area of life, this is what it comes down to. When it comes to this relationship, do I, do I trust more that I can fix this relationship or do I trust more that God can fix this relationship when it comes to my finances my time my rest it always comes back to the same 
thing. Do I trust and believe God? And I will just tell you, you'll never know till you put him to the test. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this principle of rest that we just so easily, easily avoid. If we told someone that we were coveting our neighbor's car, they would tell us that we're breaking a commandment. If we stole the car, they would say, you're really a bad person. If we murdered, if we committed adultery. But there's something about saying, I don't carve out a 24-hour period of time to rest so that God can show up in a special way in my life. We're okay with. But we don't want to feel guilty. But we do want to feel convicted. And we want to be able to reorganize and reprioritize our lives in such a way that we're setting aside that day that says, God, we trust you more than we trust ourselves. God, help us to understand at this time in our lives, this crisis that we're experiencing together, help us to realize just how much we need you. Every hour, every day, every week. Father, just help us understand we need you. And we look forward to you showing up in our lives and doing what only you can do. In your name we pray, amen.